That was a huge song. And that is a whole message there. Philip, thank you. That was fantastic. I, uh, I, need, I want that, and I love the right here and right now. We don't wait. We get moving. And uh, I, am, I am ready to get moving, aren't you guys? I am ready to, uh, to see God do some great things, and, uh, and I am really, really excited. It was funny when I even started praying um, this morning for the service and everything, and then all of a sudden I started thinking about all the men's group and the women's group and the youth and everything. Boy, we got lots to thank God for and get involved with, and I'm really excited. And uh, we're going to start real quick this morning um, in Romans 1, verse 16 and 17. We're going to be mountain climbers again. Do you mind can, as we keep climbing up the mountain? So, you know, we have the, the Bible verse that starts with the idea that we speak to mountains. How many love to speak to mountains today? So we speak to a mountain, and then it goes, boom, and it dissolves, goes into the sea, climbs over, and that absolutely happens. And then there are times where God invites us not to speak to the mountain, but to actually climb the mountain. And I don't want to climb a mountain. Do you? I, I don't mind going on a tourist thing. You know, when we do stuff with our family, we like went to Zion National Park and, you know, you can drive around in the car. It's nice to stay in the car and, you know, not get stung by a scorpion or anything. You just leave the wildlife out there and you take your picture and you're in Zion National Park. It was great going on the mountains, and I'm driving up the mountains, and you look over the edge. Does anybody like looking over the edge of mountains? I, I, I'm a heights person, too, so I, I, I'm not afraid of heights, but it's really weird how to explain the psychology for me. Like, when I'm driving around the side of the mountain, I don't like when you're going up. Well, how is it? And if I'm going down, I'm on the outside. If I'm going up, I'm on the inside. I'm not in Europe. So, but, um, so, but as I'm driving down it, I'm like, oh my gosh, I would rather have my steering wheel on the other side just because it messes with you. But we're going to become mountain climbers and it's going to require one thing for you and I to become really good mountain climbers. You know what that is? It's faith. It's faith. We've got to have faith. At some point, we're going to have to start using this faith. We're going to have to kind of put our little pet doctrines and our pet things on the shelf, so to speak, and actually do what God calls us to do. Not just be hearers of the word, but doers of his word. Romans 1, 16 and 17. For I'm not ashamed of the good news about Christ. Can I get an amen there? It is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes, the Jews first and also the Gentiles. This good news tells us how to make us right in his sight. This is accomplished from start to finish by faith. It is through faith that a righteous person has life. I think that's so powerful for us. The, the just shall live by faith. Martin Luther penned everything based on that quote. The just shall live by faith. It's not by works. It's not by paying penance. It's not by making sure our tithes are perfect or our attendance is perfect. The just shall live by faith. But one thing that we're going to have to be comfortable with, kind of in point one here, if we're going to do points today, is be comfortable with being uncomfortable. Be comfortable with being uncomfortable. If you're uncomfortable today, that's okay. Turn to someone real quick and say, it's okay. You're uncomfortable right now, it's okay. You're uncomfortable where you're at. Maybe you lay awake at night, you're uncomfortable with your circumstances. Anybody there right now? God is stretching us. I was listening to a podcast, a, I think it was like a TEDx podcast, 
on this guy who climbed Mount Everest. And one of his heroes was this French explorer. And he was talking about as he was learning to mountain climb, he wanted to climb. His goal was to go to the top of Mount Everest. It's the largest peak in the world. And you actually have to, I didn't know this, but you actually have to bottle up oxygen to get to the top. That's what most of the mountain climbers will do. I say most because some actually, him included, his goal was to go to the ascent and not have bottled oxygen with him, but actually get to the top of Mount Everest without the bottled oxygen. It was amazing listening to him. But his hero had climbed this, and so he decided he was going to climb this mountain, and it was very uncomfortable. One of the things that he said in this podcast that really struck me was he said, it's amazing what you can push your body to do. It's amazing how far your body can go. And I thought of that spiritually with us. Do you know how the potential for you and I, how far spiritually that we can go today? You might think that you're maybe an out-of-shape Christian. And maybe you are. (laughs) Maybe you're immature in your faith right now. Maybe you're not grounded, whatever it is. But realize that God continually pushes you. And as this guy trained, one of the things that he did, you know, he didn't just sign up and say, I'm going to go to Mount Everest tomorrow. You know, and God doesn't do that with us, by the way, either. Remember when he was drawing the, his people out of Egypt and he said, this is really key, he took them a different direction because he knew they weren't going to be ready for the giants that they were going to face. So as God trains you and me and puts training ground, he gives us tests. How many love tests in here? I, I hate tests. I, I, he likes tests back there. I, I'm not a test guy. When the teacher would say you're having a test, This week, I would just groan and moan, oh man, I have a test. And sometimes in life we get through that test and we fail the test, don't we? Don't you love the gracious teacher that says, let's try this again, class. God is stretching us, but we can push our bodies to places and do things spiritually that we never thought was possible. Turn real quick to 1 Peter chapter 1. I think it's important for us to to grab hold of that. By the way, when I'm climbing things, I I don't want to look down. You know how they tell you, don't look down, don't look down? It's funny because, you know, me and Hunter are the roller coaster people in our family, and Hunter has to hold my hand as I go on some of these rides. And he says, Dad, it's okay. And we'll be on this. And what I do to get up on these rides, because I love the ride itself. I really do. I love roller coasters. I would do roller coasters every day of the week. And I would get on that, and Hunter's like, okay. And we go on this one, and we're going up it. And I'm, I'm, I'm closing my eyes, and I'm singing as I'm going up the thing. And he's, he's like, Dad, look around. And I'm like, I don't care. I'm, look, I'm, I don't need to see, Hunter. I'm just fine. But when we go down that hill, then the hands go up, and I am screaming, this is the most amazing thing ever. So thanks, Hunter, for getting me through my rough times. 1 Peter 1, 6-8. So be truly glad there is wonderful joy ahead. Why don't you tell some of that real quick? There is wonderful joy ahead. Even though you have to endure for many trials for a little while, these trials will show you that your faith is genuine. It's being tested as fire tests and purifies gold. Through your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed 
to the whole world. And this is so key, and this is for us spiritual mountain climbers today. You love him even though you have never seen him. Has anyone seen Jesus here today? I'd love to meet you. I'd love to talk to you. But I didn't get Jesus to come to me, and I didn't get to poke his fingers that were nail-pierced hands or his side. I didn't get that experience. Did anyone get that? And yet it says in here today, we filled with a bunch of people who have never seen Jesus, but really, 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 really love him. I forgot who it was. They asked him this question. He was a famous singer. And they said, how do you know Jesus is real? He said, because he lives in my heart. Today, you need to become comfortable with being uncomfortable. I don't care whether it's your business or your family. There is always going to be some things in your life that you're going to feel really uncomfortable with. And I think it's those things. Call it the thorn in the side that Paul talked about. Call it whatever you want. But God puts those things in your life to drive you to the cross. How many of you know when things are okay and great, you know, it's kind of like me with counseling people and talking to people, I don't get a lot of people around and people kind of fade out when everything's perfect in their life. <laughs> it's, I get the calls and the, and, the, and the talks and the conversations when things are kind of crazy. It drives us to God. And by the way, when things feel uncomfortable, maybe on the side of the mountain, you know, he talked about these experiences, another mountain climber I was, I was uh, reading about, he was on the side of a cliff and normally during the day, he said he didn't even need to tie in. It was really simple. But he got caught in the snow and the storm. And he said, just simple movements, you felt like you were going to slip off the cliff. He couldn't see anything. And all he could do was just feel. If you, if you can just feel, he would put his hand across the side. And there was one place there. It gave him a sense of security. And then another thing. And I want to tell you, when you feel like you're slipping and you can't see in front of you, you can't see 50 feet in front of you spiritually, what you do have is the sure stronghold and Jesus Christ to simply move one step ahead. Amen. Mountain climbing is not a sprint. I don't know if you know that or not. This isn't a game. Our faith in Christ is, is not a sprint. And we feel like we're slipping at times. I was reading in Psalm 94 this week, 17 through 19. If you can turn to Psalm 94, 17 through 19. And folks, I did it again. I was a little crazy. I need to have some water. Is there, I could get some water. I keep forgetting to get water. Thank you, Joe. <laughs> Joe's like, oh my gosh. Psalm 94, 17 through 19. Anybody feel like you're slipping in your life at times? By the way, God is not looking for perfect Christian mountain climbers either. Psalm 94, 17 through 19. Unless the Lord had helped me, I, will, I would soon have settled in the silence of the grave. I cried out, I am slipping, but your unfailing love, O Lord, supported me. When doubts filled my mind, your comfort gave me renewed hope and cheer. Anybody need some cheer? Oh, did you already? This is from you? She just gave me her bottle of water. Look at that. That's give it up for Linda. That's awesome. Oh, yeah, well, thank you. Hey, 
sorry, they, I, they, well, you give her a bottle now. Now she's without water. But you have the cheap stuff. I get the Dasani. You get the, I think that's GFS, but it's, it's. See, we just traded. Thank you. She just got, I, she blessed me. That was awesome. What do we do when we feel alone on the side of the mountain? Let me tell you, if you feel alone right now, cry out to God. Great, great prayer right now for all of us. I cried, I am slipping. Folks, if you are slipping right now, cry out to God. If you are slipping mentally, cry out to God. If you've slipped into sin, cry out to God. The Bible even says this about sin. It's not whether a Christian will sin. I mean, a Christian, if a Christian will sin, a Christian will sin. In fact, he said a Christian who says I'm without sin is a liar. Everybody sins. So when we sin and when we stumble... The Bible tells us and gives us the opportunity to cry out to God and He is wonderful and He is merciful. So when we're climbing through life and we don't have all the answers to all the problems, we can simply cry out to Him and His unfailing love carries us. I call it with our life, and maybe you feel the same way, this on-again, off-again relationship with God. Does anybody feel that way? You know, I'd like to tell you all the time, my faith is secure and all the time I'm sure about God and all the time I'm excited about life and all the time I'm never depressed. And, but that doesn't happen, does it? In fact, one day I'm completely excited about what's going on and then the next day I'm complaining, right? Has anybody been there? That on again, off again, that little switch we turn on and off. I get knocked off balance so easily. And I realize it's not even huge things that knock me off balance. It's stupid things like six inches of snow still out on the yard that I'm complaining about. No, honestly, I'm, you could laugh, but that really messes me up. I was leaving for work the other day. It was still cold. I still had to defrost my windows. And I'm like, God, what's going on around here? I live in this cosmic reality of just constant snow and ice. It just throws you off. Messes your half your day up. Anybody had half your day messed up over the dumbest things? Am I the only one? I know we're all steady mountain climbers in here. But my faith in Christ is a lot of ways an on-again, off-again relationship. It really is. I want to address this as we grow in our faith and become grounded in Him. We won't be so easily manipulated by our present circumstances. You don't think of that sometimes, but do you realize how much you and I allow our circumstances to manipulate us? Circumstances aren't lining up. People aren't lining up. Things aren't lining up. And so we've been manipulated by the present day situations in our life. I think of a, of a story of a man who fled to the mountains. He didn't flee to the mountains, by the way, to go see God. He fled to the mountains to feel sorry for himself. And I think some of us, we, we prefer the mountains areas because we're alone with ourselves. You don't have to raise your hand there, but many of us, we just prefer to be alone with our thoughts. And there was this man by the name of Elijah. And he had one of the biggest, most power-demonstrating moments of God in the Bible. The prophets of Baal had lined up. They went up to the mountain. And the biggest power display was this. He said, you call down fire from your God, and let's have a little contest here. He mocked them. He was sarcastic. I love that part when he was just making fun of their God. Like, maybe he's sleeping right now. Maybe he's taking a nap. Maybe it's snack time for these gods. I love that! 
<laughs> Maybe you guys need to dance more and wake this God of yours up. I, I love it. Because he, you know why? Because he was so confident in his God. Hey guys, let's do this. Pours buckets of water on it. Talk about trash talking. The greatest trash talking there ever was. Get buckets of water, Elijah. Dump it on there. Let's prove who I am. Lights it on fire. These guys are running crazy mad. Elijah has 450 prophets of Baal taken out, killed. Gets wind. This little lady named Jezebel gets wind of it, hears about it, maybe she saw it, whatever it was, and she said, Elijah, if I don't do the same to you about this time tomorrow, and Elijah now is filled with fear. You would think that in our moments, our greatest conquering moments, that that would really infuse something in us, wouldn't it? Like we would say, yep, God's real. That's how come I really get concerned with people saying, well, if God does this, then I will really know for sure. And I tell them, God could do a whole lot for you today. I'm telling you, tomorrow's different. You don't know what's on the horizon. And you don't know what attack is coming after you. So all of a sudden, the enemy throws something at you. You had something great happen. You had a miracle happen. Maybe a financial breakthrough. Maybe your kid got up early and made you breakfast. I don't know what happened. And you're like, wow, this is great. I just love my home. I love my family. This is so great. And then the next day you are just willy-nilly. Do we have any willy-nilly people in this place? So now we're fleeing to the mountains to be depressed. Well, what about yesterday? This on-again, off-again thing with God. And once we realize how, in fact, fragile we are, that's when we become great mountain climbers. Because you know why we become great mountain climbers? Because we're not relying on ourselves anymore. We're relying on the guide who will show us how to climb. I don't need more of Steve in my life and developing strong Steve patterns. I need God patterns in my life to teach me how to climb so I don't have this on-again, off-again thing. John Eldridge writes about Elijah, yet that afternoon... He called in a monsoon. He ran for his life. Oop, wait, you know what? I missed that something. Elijah calls down fire from the heaven and had 450 prophets of Baal killed. It hadn't rained for three and a half years. He goes on to write, yet that afternoon he called in a monsoon. And then he ran for his life from his enemies. God found him on a mountain in a mood of almost total unbelief. Have you ever been in that mood before? You know what God asks? God asks Elijah one question. Are you ready for this? Here we go, the big thing. We're alone. We need someone to save us. I, we're just filled with unbelief. We're full of ourselves. We're full of fear and depression. We're not even thinking about victories anymore. Now all we're thinking about is defeat. Oh my gosh, I'm going to die. I'm not even going to be here tomorrow. Did you hear what he said? Did you hear, did you hear what the news just said, Steve? Steve, don't, 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 didn't you see this? And, Look, at, look, look, no, no, look, look, what's this saying about here? Look, we're in trouble. I'm in trouble. God goes and meets Elijah where he's at. And that's why I love God. 
He doesn't meet Steve Lapp when I'm perfect and I'm put together. And don't you ever believe the lie and the guilt and the condemnation that you have to be put together before God speaks to you. God speaks to us usually when we're in the biggest mental messes of our lives. And we're confused. And we're tormented. And God now comes to us. And I love God because He doesn't speak in these big, 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 big things that we have to talk about, these deep things. He goes to Elijah and catch this. He says, Elijah, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? What are we doing here, Elijah? Elijah, picture with me now. You called out a drought. Rain came. You did it. Do you remember the New Testament? It tells us about Elijah. Elijah was a normal man like you and me. We think that these prophets and these priests and these kings from the Old Testament had a unique DNA that somehow they were infused with like Superman or Batman DNA. They got bit by a spider, you know, Spider-Man, you know. They got this special thing. Get this out of your head right now. Those men and women in the Old Testament were failures like you and I. I didn't get a big A, big amen other than Q there. Let me get this church religious garbage out of your head. These people were a hot mess. And I've said it before in my messages, and you better get this stained glass off, this veneer off. And he's talking to Elijah. Elijah, didn't I just do this? What more do you want from me? What are you doing here? Why are you up in this mountain? This wasn't part of God's plan. Do you know that? It wasn't. God's plan, God didn't tell Elijah to go run and hide in the mountains. Did He? You don't think, Elijah, that I could keep you safe from that Jezebel? You know what we Christians are right now? We're a bunch of scared individuals. We're filled with fear and worry. Elijah, what are you doing here? Have some of us fled to the mountain not to get closer to God because Elijah wasn't going to get to God. This wasn't a retreat for Elijah, so to speak, where he was going to be filled up with special things and go, go hear a good speaker and just get his time with God. If you can picture his mental state, Elijah was completely lost. So now he's hiding up in a mountain somewhere. Do you remember the story of God? Remember when Adam and Eve went and hid in the garden? They had sinned. And what was the question that he asked of them? Adam, Adam, where are you? Elijah, what are you doing here? Steve, what are you doing here? 
This light switch thing that we turn on, do you know you can turn your faith on today? You really can. You can grow in your faith. God gives every one of us the measure of faith. No one here was granted. That's the other thing we do with our church. Well, I have the gift of faith, Pastor. What does that even mean? You still have to grow your faith. You, don't, you weren't just given this special cosmic ability. You still have to believe. You still have to grow. And some of us have gone to the mountain, and it's not the mountain of God, Mount Zion. It's our selfish mountain filled with fear. And now what we do is we have wallpapers full of things. Do you know during games and stuff they'll actually use like headlines and quotes and phrases, maybe that people say about things to get the team really charged. Maybe the other opposing team said they're losers and they don't know how to play whatever, and they put it on there and they go, guys, this is what they're saying about you. You go out there and you kick their butts. So now Jezebel has a headline. And what are your headlines saying right now? They could be personal headlines. They could be headlines about other people you know. How many of you know you can adopt other people's problems too? So now somebody's got problems and now they become your problems. You know, Rod was talking about carrying burdens, but the idea of carrying burdens wasn't to weigh you down. It was to carry burdens to help people out and to get them through, saying, hey, let's do this. It's kind of like you grab something from someone and say, you don't have to do this yourself. We'll get through this together. That's the idea of that. Elijah, what on earth are you doing here? It was all gone. No fire from heaven anymore. I could picture Elijah. I'm like Elijah. God, well, you got the fire from heaven, but why don't you do that to Jezebel, God? I mean, 450, why can't you just do 450 plus what? Why can't you just... Smite Jezebel, God. Anybody ever thought like that before? Come on, get an amen there. No, we got some honest people in here now. Well, God, you answered 99% of my prayers. Why can't you just add a 1%? It was all gone. Elijah's not any different than me. I'm no different than Elijah. John Eldridge writes, I woke up this morning. I love this story. It's a little lengthy, but it gives us perspective on this on-again, off-again relationship. I woke up this morning feeling blah for no apparent reason. Yesterday was a good day. I slept fine during the night, but when I woke up, my heart was heavy. God didn't seem to be in the house anymore. Part of me wanted just to wallow in it, give way to the low feelings for a while, but the angels of my better nature knew I needed to get up and pray. I threw off the covers went out in the living room and slogged through my morning ritual without the feeling of his presence that I cherish. I wish I could say I wake up most mornings with an immediate, intimate connection with God, but the conversation already flowing. But things come over us in the night, subconscious fears, failures, worries. And then there is the enemy too, a dark lion who often visits in the night. We wake to accusation and discouragement and heavy-heartedness. Anybody have that? As the old poet George MacDonald admitted late in his Christian life, sometimes I wake and lo, I have forgotten and drifted out upon the ebbing sea. My soul that was at rest now resteth not, for I am with myself and not with thee. 
See, we got out in the middle of nowhere, not because God wasn't there or anything, but because we just kind of left. And so we're alone with our thoughts and our stuff, our lack of victory, and now we're consumed with me. We've wrapped in a blanket. We've warmed ourselves with all of this. And now we have subconscious fears and we have subconscious worries. And it's something that's really important for us physically to do, and that is to redirect our gaze. When I told you you don't want to look down, they always say, don't look down. Don't look down. You need to look up. Don't look down. Down here is your junk. Down here, our gaze. You know, you can't, you know, everybody, they have now a texting lane you walk through at different places. But, you know, people are like this, and so they're, they're down. They're walking down, and, and, and you've got to have your heads up. Christians, you can't get anywhere in your Christian faith with your gaze downward. It won't happen. I think we get to shake ourselves from depressing feelings. Wouldn't you agree? Self-defeat is given a foothold in our life. John Eldridge goes on to write, I basically said to my forlorn soul, feelings, I'm sorry you are not well, but I'm not letting you define my experience right now. I think you are misguided. God is right here. I'm His. We are close friends. I'm not sure why I feel low, but it is simply isn't true. Folks, you don't have to figure out why you're feeling low right now. Okay? And I think anxiety, depression is one of the biggest key issues that the church has completely missed. Just not dealing with, not talking about it. And I think what we've done also in the world, the world has decided... These two bottle pills are the answer to your life. I was talking to someone the other day that literally had a person that they wanted prayer for that literally is on ten medications to counter the anxiety. Ten! Dealing with all these things. So this does this. And I found out about antidepressants. What's interesting about it is sometimes you have the highs and lows, but this medication doesn't deal with the low as much as the high, if that makes any sense. So you have all these different things. So now this particular one has to adjust that. So we're constantly adjusting medically. And again, I want to tell you, I am not a, psychi- uh, a psychologist, but I will tell you that some of these imbalances are created in our life because we're not dealing with some core things in our heart. We have self-defeat. And self-defeat is given a foothold in our life. So we're self-defeated. We have already said, first of all, that mountain's too big. And I can't climb it. And God is saying, well, this is my mountain for you. Well, I want a different mountain. Do you know you can talk to yourself? There is self-talk. Every one of us does it. That self-talk, just look in the mirror and see what you're saying to yourself in your head. Wake up in the morning, look up, and I'm like, oh, man, oh, man. Like, so, see, for me, like, I wake up in the morning, and I honestly I have to fight these things. Like, oh, oh chin, get that up. I, I need to be that chiseled guy because I, I, I need to be that chiseled guy. I'm not that chiseled guy again. I'm sorry you're not well. 
But I'm not letting you define my experience right now. I got a mountain to climb, feelings. We put too much stock in our feelings. It's how come half the people don't go to church. They go to work, they get on the boat, they go on their vacations. But church is always difficult. Why? Because you don't feel like it. I don't want to get involved with people's lives. I got enough problems myself. I don't want to talk about the people's problems. Everybody go, don't spit on people. Just do that. We don't get plugged in with people. Well, I got enough of my problems. I'm on that mountain. How can I help people? Because I'm in my own problems. And so we're so consumed, we never even realize that we can offer help to people. Feelings, I think you are misguided. You know what else I was reading this week? It's interesting what happens when you actually open your Bible up and read it. Do you know what happens when you read your Bible? The inspired Word of God wakens you up. The Word of God is alive and active and powerful. So I would tell you, with all of your feelings and all of your information, oh, we love our information, don't we? We've got information on everything. We have information about things and this and that, statistics and everything else. But we haven't put our information up against the Word of God, which is so refreshing. I was reading in Psalm this week. Crazy. With world problems and everything going on, right? And it talked about offering a sacrifice of thanks. God was talking to the people and He was saying, I don't want your bulls and your sacrifices. I want what's the perfect sacrifice for you and me is a sacrifice of thankfulness. You think about, I remember I was writing it down one after another, God, thank you for this and thank you for that and thank you for this. You know, if you just would get a pen out, if you want to talk to your feelings and you want to have a self-talk in your life and say, I am sorry, feelings, you don't have the stage right now. There is something else going on here. There is something else at play here. You cannot define my experience right now. Just get a paper out and start to write God. Write Him a love letter. Write it with meaning. Write it with purpose. Write it with intention. Say to God, God, what are you thankful for? Put your needs on the shelf right now. Because you don't even know what you need to climb this mountain properly. You don't know what you need. Are you letting those self-entangled feelings right now warp your vision for the Lord on your mountain climb? Are you letting those self-entangled feelings warp your vision? Maybe you're self-entangled right now. You know, you can get untangled. You know, we do give the enemy footholds with our feelings. And we play this little deal. And we find ourselves on a mountain and God says over and over again, what are we doing? What are you doing here? Psalm 121 says, I will lift my eyes to the mountain from where my help comes from. Do you know what that mountain was they were talking about? It was Mount Zion. The beautiful city of God. When we look our eyes forward, we can be like Abraham who was going to a country he didn't even have seen with his own physical eyes. Folks, I can tell you, you can develop a vision 
for your family. You can develop a vision for your life that no matter what your circumstances face, you will always be above it because you are not warped by the feelings about the situation. At some point on this mountain climb, we're going to have to believe God again. We're going to have to believe Him. Eldridge writes, We wait to be struck by lightning. We wait for an epiphany. In our therapeutic age, we've become so self-conscious, so deeply entangled in our personal experiences, we think belief is also an experience, something we mostly feel. It is not. It is first and foremost an act of the will. It is a choice. Belief is a choice. I choose to believe God is who He says He is. I choose to believe that my Father is a loving Father. I choose to believe that my God is a loving God. I choose to believe that He is full of mercy and tender and compassionate, that He showers blessing on a thousand generations. That's the God I serve. I believe that. It's not an epiphany. It's not a struck by lightning moment. It's not seeing visions. It's not seeing Mary on some statue crying somewhere. It's not gold flakes falling from heaven in our service. We believe. I want you to write this promise down. It's a promise not only for Abraham, but it's a promise for you, and it's a promise for me when we get in this on again, off again. I'm getting on the mountain. I'm going to stay over here. I'm getting on the mountain. I'm going to climb here. No, I don't want to do it. I don't, I, I don't know what I'm going to do. Abraham believed God, Romans 4.3. Abraham believed God, and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. Not about the Jewish law, by the way. Abraham was counted righteous not because he was circumcised or did some special thing. Abraham was counted right with God because of he believed God. Believe God once again. It's hard. Jesus was speaking to Thomas. Thomas said, I'm not going to believe unless I touch his nail-pierced hands and touch his side. Isn't it great how God even comes to us in those moments too? Guess what God does? He's telling his boys, ain't no way I'm believing this. There's no way that resurrection was possible. No way. All of a sudden Jesus goes, here I am. John 20, 26 says, and he's speaking directly, and this is a command from Jesus to Thomas. It's a command for you and me. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. That was Jesus talking to Thomas after he touched his side and his nail-pierced hand. We can't give the excuse anymore of what this church didn't do for me or I just need this. At some point, you're going to have to start putting rubber to the road and you're going to have to start believing God and going after the things of God. We do have to make a decision to believe once again. If we don't, here's what's going to happen. We will run the risk of what's called practical atheism. I love what R.C. Sproul writes. What is deadly to the church is when the external forms of religion are maintained while their substance is discarded. This we call practical atheism. 
Practical atheism appears when we live as if there were no God. The external continue, but the man becomes the central thrust of devotion as the attention of religious concern shifts away from man's devotion to God to man's devotion to man. Bypassing God. The ethic of Christ continues in a superficial way, having been ripped from its supernatural, transcendent, and divine foundation. I think it's really crazy what happens in the church today. Many people in the church are just simply practical atheists. They have a form of godliness, but they deny the power thereof. They are practical in their approach. The Lord's Prayer, isn't that a great, cute thing? You know, our Father who art in heaven. But folks, that prayer wasn't said for us to quote. There wasn't some special thing there. The special in that, the sauce was people practically jumping in to the things of God and the kingdom of God for their lives. Seek them out. Hebrews 11.6. Let's turn there. One of the things that we're going to have to start doing is seeing God as big once again, aren't we? Hebrews 11.5, we'll start there. It was by faith that Enoch was taken up to heaven without dying. He disappeared because God took him. For before he was taken up, he was known as a person who pleases God. And it is possible to please, it, and, and it is possible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe God exists and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. I want you to know that today, that God's going to reward your faith. He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. C.S. Lewis wrote this in Prince Canspian. Aslan said, Lucy, you're bigger. That is because you're older, little one, answered he. Not because you are, she answered. I am not, but every year you grow, you will find me bigger. Every year you and I grow in our faith, we will find our God bigger. It don't happen the opposite. It's not God growing. God doesn't get any bigger. God is. God is God. Every year he doesn't figure things out and become a bigger God. You know how we see God? We magnify God as we grow in our experience with him. Every year we grow, God becomes bigger to us. That's how come when we're kind of out in the shallows and we don't get into mountain moving faith and mountain climbing faith, we don't see things, we don't pray for things, we don't believe things, and we never see God as a big God in our life. By the way, the goal in getting to the top is not to see beautiful clouds or the sunset. <laughs> you know, we go, go, go up to the mountains and you see above the clouds, you see things like you've never seen before. It's a beautiful, beautiful experience. Maybe you want to see the eagle soaring, the majestic eagle, and like, oh my gosh, let's take a picture there. Isn't that beautiful? It was funny, this guy, when he got to the top of Mount Everest that I was listening to, he said, uh-oh, I've got a problem. And he goes, no one, he climbed by himself up Mount Everest. It was nuts. But he climbed up this mountain and he goes, oh my gosh, I don't have a, someone to take a picture of me up here. So he had to do this Mount Everest like selfie. It was really funny. He had a, you know, a phone and he took a quick picture. But it's one of those moments where we get to the top. Folks, the goal is not to get to the top, just to get to the top. You know our goal of mountain climbing is? To get to know Jesus. That's the simplicity of it. I want to know God and the power of his resurrection 
and in joining him in his sufferings. My goal is not to see an ego. My goal is to see God. Amen. Gregory Kokel uh, writes, it's not just that God has a plan for our lives. Our lives exist for God's plan. I would tell you, God has got a plan for your life. No, no, no. You exist for God's plan. What's God going to do for me? How is he going to bless me? How is he going to answer this? God doesn't exist for me. I exist for God. The Bible tells us to grow from faith to faith. And when we aren't growing, we lose the opportunity to see how big God truly is. J.D. Greer writes, What I didn't realize was that my problem arose from having myself instead of God at the center of my universe. So often in life, we are the center of the universe and God needs to be the center of our universe. Remember Job? He goes through all those problems and those situations looking for the answers to life. Again, God asked him some questions in Job 38, 4-7. God's response to Job's questions were this. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you know so much. Who determined its dimensions? And who stretched out the surveying line? What supports its foundations? And who laid its cornerstone? As the morning stars sang together, and all the angels, angels shouted for joy. Job, where were you? Mr. Know-it-all. As we get to know this King of Kings and Lord of Lords, the Lion in the tribe of Judah, have you ever been to the zoo or maybe a safari and you saw this big lion? I love seeing the big cat exhibit. There are two exhibits I love to see. I love seeing the monkeys and gorillas first. Those are the best. I love seeing them. They're the funniest animals in the world. But I love seeing the lions. I want to see the lions. And you see that lion there? I mean, my nose, my nose, my ears... And my everything just starts to go, oh my gosh, that lion is a monster. That lion is huge. But here's the crazy thing and the great thing as we get to know God as we climb up on this mountain. The Bible says you and I become like the lion. Proverbs 28.1 says the righteous are as bold as the righteous are as bold as lions. So we grow in our faith as we climb now. One of the ways that our lives show the worth of the gospel is when the gospel makes us bold and courageous and unafraid, John Piper writes. You must increase and I must decrease, John said. J.D. Greer writes, our default setting in life is self-centered, not God-centered. It's why when we look at the picture we're in, we have one method to determine whether the picture's good, how we look. Your sister could have her eyes crossed and your dad's toupee might be falling off, but as long as you look good, the picture's good. <laughs> he goes on to write, Andy Stanley points out that even in our religious expressions, we reveal our self-centeredness. Most people's prayer lives could be summed up as, give me, give me, give me. Maybe our prayers sound like this. God, make everyone behave the way I want them to behave so that I can be comfortable and happy. Pay him back for what he said to me. Work out the situation so it's easier for me. And when God doesn't do it, immediately we become irate. Hey, God, what's wrong with you? Are you up there? I'm talking. Don't you get it? It's about me. What are you doing? But deep down... We are genuinely confused. We say, God, 
What could you possibly be up to? And God says, what am I up to? Where have you been? I'm up to my glory. Folks, it's always been about His glory. J.D. Greer writes, but from the beginning we hijacked the universe and we made it about us. If you want to see the bigness of God, folks, don't just make God part of your life. Make Him the center and the source of your life. I hate it when people, you know, you talk about people and you know when they know Christ or not or have a relationship with them and you, maybe you talk to them about God or whatever and they talk, they immediately they go, well, I go to this church or I'm a member at this church or my grandma was a member of this. I didn't ask you that. Do you know God? But we can't be Christians that all day long go, gimme, 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 fix this, make my life comfortable because we will never get to the top of the mountain. But we have mountain climbers in this room. And Sandra, I wanted to have you come up here and start playing. We're going to be taking communion this morning. It's a beautiful thing if we could have our ushers come up here and we're going to start passing the communion out. And as we do that, I want you to think about this moment. Think about this. We talked about base camp last week. And this is a place where we make decisions and we make plans. That we're going to go up the mountain and we're going to go to places that we've never been to before. You guys can start passing them out. As they pass this around today, I want you to think about that faith mode and what Jesus said to his disciples and Thomas and saying, it's time to start believing. And maybe some of us were going through some circumstances on the mountain. Maybe the weather's bad up there at the point we're at. You know, what's interesting about mountains too is different elevations have different weather. The weather at the top could be completely different than the weather at the bottom. It's constantly changing. And for you and I today, we have the opportunity with taking communion to celebrate who God is and that He is our ultimate guide, that we can trust Him. Maybe you felt like you're slipping. Maybe you felt like you've been backslidden, that you're not walking after the things of God. This is a perfect time for us at communion to readjust that. Maybe today you're on the mountain and it's an awesome place. You're in a nice pocket. Thank God for that. Maybe today you're figuring out where you're going to put that hook and that rope and you're going to need some help to get through that particular movement. But in all of that, we can thank God for His hand guiding us and that we are secure in Him. Why don't we close our eyes for a moment? And maybe we reflect right now on the mountain where we're at. And maybe the mountain you're on right now, you're not climbing, you're just simply hiding. I speak to those filled with worry and anxiety and fear. As God is drawing us back out. And He's wanting our faith to be secure in Him through that. 
as she plays this song through, may we be drawn back to God to enjoy his presence and his company. Today, my goal with this message is that we'd understand that we don't have to be comfortable. We just got to be in the right place. We don't have to have everything be comfortable. And everything doesn't have to be perfect. Jesus didn't have perfect circumstances here on earth by far. And we are going to go through trials and we're going to go through tribulations at different points in our life. We can trust and we can rest in knowing that Jesus died on the cross for your sins and for my sins. And we have a hope today. If you fall flat on your face before you even came to church here today, that's what this communion's for. If you fell flat on your face last week, that's what this communion's for. If you fall flat on your face next week, that's what this communion's for. And the resurrection power also is in this. He was pierced and he was bruised for us. And he carried the weight of the world's sin on his shoulders and gave us freedom. Today we can partake in all of that and enjoy God's company as we climb up this mountain. Shall we partake his body and his blood together in Jesus' name? Father, I thank you today for what you're doing in our midst, how you're training us, and how we're going to grow from faith to faith. God, thank you that you are pushing us outside of ourselves to do things that we would never dream possible, to pray things that we never thought we'd pray before, that we'd be encouraged, that we'd be strengthened. And God, I thank you for those in here today who maybe felt hopeless, or who thought that they were bound by their feelings. They wake up on the wrong side of the bed 
realize today that they can tell themselves something else, a different story. But they are not subjected to their feelings or emotions in the moment. But they can have a strong belief in you. God, I pray you rest on us. We're not waiting for an epiphany or a lightning bolt today, God. We choose to believe that you are a rewarder of those who diligently seek you. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. Love taking communion together. Oh, yeah, very good. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, this morning we have a big, big thing here. We've got a, a happy birthday. We have to sing to my sister and Paige. She gets that. You get that right at the end of service. Isn't it great? Why don't, we, why don't we sing happy birthday? Where is Paige yet? There, where is Paige? There she is. Okay. Why don't we sing happy birthday to you guys real quick? Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Paige. Kathy.